2: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman.
3: I'm Janet. I'm Mel. And I'm Sujin Park.
2: Asian-American and diasporic storytelling and representation are two things that we at Asian Boss Girl care about deeply. We've loved seeing the increase in quantity and depth of storytelling and Asian representation across media and various industries these past several years. It's also been a long time coming, with those who started before us paving the way. Today's guest is someone we consider a trailblazer for Asian Americans in media, particularly on television
1: and journalism, Suchin Pak. Sookjin is especially known for becoming the first Asian-American correspondent at MTV in the early 2000s. It was a big deal. We didn't see many faces like ours on TV back then, let alone hosting American shows. Throughout her incredible career, she reported on everything from celebrity red carpets to presidential elections to international relief efforts. Recently, she wrote the introduction for the upcoming book with MTV Books, My Life, Growing Up Asian in America, and co hosts a podcast called "At to Cart with comedian and actress Kula Vilaisak. We're so excited to have Suchin here with us today and to chat about her career, thoughts on identity, personal storytelling, and her podcast. Suchin, welcome, and thank you so much for being
3: here. Yay! I feel like one of the gals already, so I'm excited. Yes, we are so excited to have you here with us. We'd love to start Suchin by just
2: sharing with our listeners a little bit about your background. What was it like growing up? What was
3: your family dynamic like? What was young Suchin like? Mmm, young Suchin. Uh, young Soojin was very quiet and very much an introvert. And I, and I still am. And I know it's like, uh, roll your eyes when someone has a media career and they're like, but I'm an introvert. <laughs> uh, but anybody that knows me knows that is the essence of who I am. So that, that hasn't changed very much. I grew up in the Bay area in Northern California in the East Bay, which is very different as you all know from San Francisco or Palo Alto. And uh, my parents uh, always had just like a tiny little lunch spot in Oakland. So, you know, my life was really in the East Bay growing up. Uh, I have a younger brother who, you know, is my best friend. He still lives in New York. I lived in New York for many years with him. Um, Yeah, and it was just the four of us. We uh, didn't have like a big extended family here. And I think like you either have, I feel like most of my friends have like one or the other extreme experiences growing up. Either like tons of family, tons of cousins and aunties and uncles. And then and then like mine, who were very much isolated. I think my parents moved here. They had uh, – my dad's sisters were here, but it was still – not like a big bustling family it was just the four of us pretty much all the time
1: oh yeah for sure Uh, um so uh this is really random but i actually knew you're from the east bay because and i i correct me if i'm wrong but i think you also went to james logan high school i did okay so funny story i also i grew up in union city and i went to james logan and so what I know, I, I, it's such a small world because I feel like no one I know is from Union City or went to jail. Like no one was, no one I know goes to James Logan and ends up in media. Yeah. But um, I remember because uh, I took an Asian American Studies class, and I don't know if you had Miss Babadia, or you know her. Oh my, wait, what? <laughs> this is crazy. Of course, wait. First of
3: all, we're very far in age. I think apart. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I'm a lot older than you. So. The fact that you are bringing up Ms. Bobadilla, who is maybe one of three teachers that like really changed my mm-hmm. life, um, is crazy. And number three, I want to let you finish. The fact that you're saying an Asian American studies <laughs> class in... High yes. school is also kind of blowing my mind. So go on, continue. Yeah, on. no, I
1: just uh, I remember because um, she was such a pivotal person too. When like the whole like yes. shaping my Asian American identity, or even like I do feel even lucky that our high school offered an Asian American studies class. Yeah, and I remember she was saying to us in class, and she was like, "Yeah, and if you guys also don't, you know, you like to take pride in you know being like a James Logan and a person." She's like, "Suchin Park also went to our high school. She like brought you up a couple times, and so I was so like that was ingrained in me, and so." When I saw you on MTV and all these things. I'm just like, yeah, she was, went to my high school. Like That's something I would take pride in because I'm like, I had to like represent somehow. Oh, um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that.
3: No, we have to um, get this uh, reunion to Miss Bobadilla. And she'll be so happy to hear that um, she definitely changed my life. And she, it, we weren't, I mean, it wasn't an Asian American Studies class. I mean, just someone mm-hmm. like her, which was so... Unusual at that time and for that age, Janet, Miss Bobadilla was. I mean, she felt really young uh, when yeah. we were in high school. Gorgeous, like the most beautiful person you've ever seen. Super mm-hmm. smart grounded just like one of those teachers that like really cared and growing up in a giant public high school I think that all of those things are exceptions to the rule and then on top of it She was this really strong vocal Asian American Mm -hmm. woman You know, I feel like she was like my first sort of uh, image of that Mm -hmm. You know of like what an Asian American could look like that was different than my mother and her, you know church friends so yeah anyway i'm so glad you brought her up
2: that is so amazing that you both share that in common and it seems like as you both reflect on that that is quite a rare thing for a young asian female to have at such a young age somebody an adult figure to represent that for them Um, and look how it played out because then years later suchin you went into tv journalism and so when you think back into even those young years as young suchin and being exposed Mm -hmm. in high school what did it mean to you at that time to be an Asian American when you were growing up and then as you were starting your TV journalist career and now looking at the evolution to now? Can you kind of talk us through that of your identity?
3: Yeah, well... Um... Mel, I feel like, uh, you know, exactly the sort of community that we grew up in, which Mm -hmm. was predominantly um, Asian, predominantly Filipino, very, you you know, white kids were the Mm -hmm. minority. And so I think in some ways um, I came to understand my Asian American identity very much later in Mm -hmm. life because I sort of took it for granted. It wasn't that unusual to look like us, to eat the foods that we ate. I mean, there was still like embarrassing stories and shame around Mm -hmm. that. But I don't think to the level where I have friends who grew up in, you know, you know, small towns in Ohio, Mm -hmm. or, you know, places where they were the only Asian person in the school. Like, I don't know what that experience is like, and how that would have influenced um, my identity. And so I sort of took it for granted. And in some ways, I almost kind of chafed against Mm. it like I felt like I had to separate myself from the pack Mm. and so I think especially pursuing uh, a career in television and in front of the camera which was also like so so different than what I was seeing I I do feel like if I'm being honest like I think for me I just wanted to be as American Mm. as white Mm. as you know as possible and I think that that was my way of of understanding it and and surviving in that sort of dynamic. It wasn't until I really moved to New York, I think, that I was like, oh, there's, there's not a lot of Asian people. Mm-hmm. Hold on. <laughs> and then I started to seek out friends that, you know, that I, you know, and I was so far away from home that felt familiar to me. And so all of that stuff came very organically. And as I was... Um, You know, having my career at MTV, then really feeling like, wow, I'm just one of, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's nobody, there's not even another woman in the newsroom, much less uh, a woman of color, much less an Asian American woman. So I started to really kind of uh, see it in a different light once I got out of the Bay Area and really once I got out of Los Angeles because I I lived in LA too and I I think that you also take it for granted um, that there are huge, huge Asian populations that you can easily be a part Mm -hmm. of and are accessible. Um, So that's kind of in terms of like my awareness of the Asian American identity. I think that that's how it has evolved.
1: Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. I could totally resonate about the whole like you take your identity or your like your community for granted because I was like, oh, I'm, this is the norm growing mm. up. Like I didn't feel really othered, but I think one thing you know, as as a native Union City person, I have to ask is that I think for me, remembering feeling like it was such a big deal that you came from our town in our high school because I feel like it's so rare that I knew anyone from Logan or like just like East Bay that wanted to pursue media. That I really didn't have anyone to like. I didn't know that was an option for me until much later. Yeah. So like, I'm curious for you, like back then, like what, like what happened or during high school or college, you're like, I need to work. I want to be a journalist. Like I want to be, yeah. I want to work in media.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, also Union City, it's, um, it's, it's so far removed for so many reasons, but also socioeconomically. Hmm. It's not like it's a very um, going to college like not community college but like going to a university it still was a big deal when i was graduating i mean going to like a prestigious ivy league that was i i can't think of one person i can think of one which was who was our valedictorian who went to stanford but like You just you like so to say that like pursuing a a job in media, I think if you grew up in L.A. or maybe New York Mm or even now, like because we're all on our cell phones, it feels more attainable. Mm -hmm. But like back then, you know, there wasn't even really cable. I mean, it was like basic cable. So the idea of pursuing something in media is just like totally Farcical, and I think I had. I started working as a young teen reporter Mm -hmm. um, for the local news channel when I was in high school, and that was totally by chance. You know, somebody, uh, uh, one of the producers, um, came to like a after-school program that I was volunteering for, and um, interviewed me. You know, Mm -hmm. while I was doing the program, and then later, a producer saw that and was like, "Oh, we're doing this." weekend like talk show for young teens and we want real teens and so do you want to host that I mean I I didn't even know what that was Mm -hmm. really like even the day that we were shooting like they had to teach me how to use hold a microphone Mm -hmm. and like to stand in front of the camera and then like memorize an intro like all of that I was like I have no idea what Mm -hmm. what this is like no context for it whatsoever So I I was doing that in high school, but I never thought that that's what I would end up doing. Mm -hmm. I just always thought, well, wow, this was a fluke. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll look great in a college application, and then I'll get on with my life as a lawyer, and it'll be normal, back to normal. And so I kind of kept getting little side jobs Mm -hmm. in TV, even through college. The producer of that teen show was like, you should submit a tape, to, um there's this uh, PBS science show that's looking for a young host. And I think you'd be great. And I was like, I don't even know what, like, again, mm-hmm. you know, I was just like, ah, there's no real frame of reference. Mm. And so she put the tape together, she sent it in. Oh, wow. You know, when you're in that sort of scenario, at least for me, so much of it is just about survival, mm. meaning that like, you don't ask questions, mm. you just show up. And you try to figure out what it is you're supposed to do and it all feels crazy and it all feels like you shouldn't be there all the time but you got to do it because it's it's it could be an opportunity it's mm-hmm. financially a lot better than you know working in after school job mm-hmm. yeah. at a smoothie bar which i also did you know so i understood that like this this was a golden egg mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm a fairy tale like there's no way that I could make a real living doing this so I did that really for a long time Mm -hmm. kind of talk myself out of the job that I was in and kept thinking you know I'm young enough where I could do this a little bit put off law school and still be able to get back on track so I would say it didn't dawn on me until I moved to New York Mm. and I got my first real show it was for Oxygen Network Oprah Winfrey was launching it at the time and uh, they were launching a, like a young talk show. And I was one of the hosts. And I was working every single day. It was live TV, three hours a day. It <laughs> was wow. the craziest, craziest show to do three hours of live TV every single day. But by then I had been working in TV for, I don't know, almost 10 years. Oh, wow. And it was the first time that I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I think that there's there's something here. I don't know what it is. But... Um, I should probably, you know, pursue this and I should probably want to be a news anchor mm-hmm. like Connie Chung because that was what was available, yeah. you know. And so that's kind of how, again, it, it, you know, I'd like to say that like I had a dream board,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and I manifested this, but that's not how my career has happened. I think most of my career has happened like in the dark, showing up, And just fly by the seat of your pants. Mm -hmm. And then the most important thing I think has always been that I've always had really good relationships with the people that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. And so that always led to more work. Mm -hmm. And that was just sheer, you know, just because, you know, you were brought up and raised a certain way to be kind and generous or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also rare in media too, Mm -hmm. you know, to be connected to that part of you and because I think I felt so disconnected from that I just always grounded myself in like this is not who you are Mm -hmm. you know not sure you really belong here have no idea how long it's gonna last so there's like downsides and upsides to that right the downside is is that like I think I talk myself out of a lot of projects or opportunities Mm -hmm. Um, but then the good side is, is that I think that grounding has helped me find my own way through this landscape.
1: Oh, I love hearing you retell everything. It just, it's so, it's just so nice. I don't know. It's also mm-hmm. really real. I feel like I heard about Connie Chung. Like that's a lot of people's, like the person they think of, like, but I think for me, like you were that person. So for it's just a different, it's like you're studying, yeah. it's like you're for my, maybe my, I don't know my generation, but like my my trailblazer that I looked to and then I saw the first person I kind of saw on screen along with maybe Lisa Ling. As, you know, navigated your career and landed in New York, like, you know, now hosting one of the shows for Oprah, like now that you're in, like, I guess, like the thick of your career, how did you feel being one of like the few Asian faces on like American like national television at the time?
3: You know, I don't think, I don't think I really thought about that for a long Mm. time. And two, two things come to mind when I think about that. Number one is, is that, you know, when I was on Oxygen, like, you couldn't even watch the channel in New York. Like, I've never, like, I never saw my show on TV. Like, I would get tapes of it, Mm. you know? So add on to that, like, there's no social media. There's not even, like, a blogging culture. Like, there's no way to access your audience Mm. and your audience to access you. You do your job, it's like, in a black box and you have no idea if you're connecting to other people, you have no idea what they think about you. Mm-hmm. It's a complete, it's, it's sort of, a, you know, just a one-sided conversation. Mm-hmm. So nobody ever reflected back like, wow, like I can't believe, mm. you know, there's an Asian American on TV and, that's you know what I mean? Like that was pretty rare. Um, and then I joined the Asian American Journalists Association, um, the AJ which is still... Around And it has been around for a really long time. And and every uh, Asian, you know, news person is part of this organization. Um, And they have conferences and that sort of thing. And I had gone to a few of those. And because of my age and because I wasn't in traditional news Mm -hmm. yet, you know, I was doing this talk show, which uh, had very, like, serious news elements to it. I did feel kind of even out of place within that community, mm. which I felt like I, you know, should have found sort of, you know what I mean, a connection, but I also felt very disconnected to that community. And so for me, I I think I did most of my work just in isolation. I don't mm. think the idea of being an advocate for diversity or Asian American voices was even part of my consciousness, but it wasn't a part of anybody's consciousness as long as I mean as far as I knew it you know like all this stuff mm-hmm. representation diversity these this is language that is new mm. This is not vocabulary that was used uh, back then so I kind of um, for me it was just about trying to figure out okay what is my career path is it going to be a very tr- traditional one like a Connie Chung where I had that one <laughs> we had that one image Um, And if not, then what do I do? Mm. And I spent, I've spent all of my career in the, what do I do now? Mm. (laughs) Part of that question. Uh, Because I, you know, I sort of turned away from pursuing a traditional news job after MTV, because I just realized I just, it just wasn't me yeah Mm -hmm. that
2: is so interesting that it seems like you've spent a lot of this time kind of like denying this path uh that you actually had you can hear from mel had such impact on individuals and you're right during that time there wasn't this circularness of in communication that technology allows us today so you probably didn't see the feedback um but as we see you know like everything has evolved now and um if you think back to your career when was that moment when it transitioned from being very much of a siloed one-sided not a lot of other people that you felt you could relate to to then when was the moment that you kind of found community um did you have specific mentors or people that you you feel like somewhere along the line in your career helped you um feel more kind of at home i guess
3: in what you were doing I think there were two moments to me that um, I felt like, oh, okay, this is something bigger than than me and 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 there did feel like there was a community there. The first was I hosted and produced a very short docu series on MTV called My Life Translated, where I would follow around teens from immigrant families going through very American rites of passage. So, so like prom and college and all of that. And I, we followed them in the cam- with the cameras in their homes. The cameras came to my home. Like it was very much kind of a reality docu-series. And so working on that was a total shift in terms of me conceiving like what I wanna do with uh, my career. And also what I was really Um, passionate about and where I could feel like I made an impact. You know? Because I think like before that I felt like It was fine what I was doing, but it felt, at least to me, like anyone could really do what I'm doing. Like, it's not that hard, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I stumbled into it. I'm sure there's millions of people that could stumble into this. But I think working on that series, I realized, I was like, oh, like, if I could use what I have here to reflect the stories that young people are not seeing on TV, like I didn't grow up seeing – like, that's impactful. Like, that, that, that could mean something. So that was one experience. And then the second experience that I can think of is watching the film Better Look Tomorrow for mm-hmm. the first time in a theater. And I remember I was at Sundance, and I screened the movie, and I was like, I've never sat in a theater and, and watched a movie with an all Asian-American cast. Nobody has accents. It's not about them being Asian American. It's just a bunch of bad kids getting in trouble. And it was a great movie. And so I realized I was like, oh, I cannot believe I have gone this long in my life without having this memory. And I had no idea that I was missing this Mm. part of my identity um, until I sat there. So... You know, I think that that when people talk about representation in media, it's just it feels kind of like your eyes glaze over because everyone talks about that. But I, I, I think trying to create an identity for yourself and I'm not talking about just an Asian American identity. I'm just talking about an identity for yourself in the wholest, most human form in a complete lack of reflection of who you are, a complete lack of validation Mm -hmm. of your existence, what you're asking a young person to do is virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was like sitting there and having that realization that if we don't push for our stories to be told, like what becomes of us? Like we just end up, what? We just end up stumbling through, trying to figure it out on our own. Like there has to be some way that we can start to have an impact on each other. And again, this was before social media. Now we can do it through posts and it's so easy. You do it in your underwear in, in bed and you're like, I made an impact. Bye, yeah. Good night. yeah. I'm going to bed. I made an impact, you know, however big or small, it doesn't matter. So um, it just was like a really, those two experiences I remember being like, okay, the, these are, there's something here mm-hmm. and I loved doing it. And I wasn't afraid at that point to be like, oh, because I think there was a part of when I was much younger, like I didn't want to talk about my Asian American identity because I didn't want people to think that that's the only thing that I could report Mm. on, that like I could only report on Asian stories, you know? There was still that kind of misconception and stereotype, I think, of people of color in the media. So, uh, it was something that i kind of grew into this Mm -hmm. awareness
1: yeah that also makes complete sense there's like an evolution like i think with the whole representation dialogue too even 10 years ago it was so different um i used to work for the film festival like nonprofit circuit and so i think that was like the main place people would go for like films and things and now it's like the access to it is just so different and i'm hearing even like people, when I talk to like peers or people, they're like, oh, I was like, what do you value? What do you care about? They're like representation. I'm just like, wow, people are like, it's just kind of like a common thing now, which is great. But I'm also like, oh, like this didn't say talk about this last 10 years ago. I, I guess as someone who has seen like the evolution of representation over the last, I don't know, few years, 10 years, like what is from your observation, like how has access to the community changed? And for you, do you think like, why does it matter? Why
3: does representation matter, you think?
1: Yeah, or also, like, from... I would love to hear, like, from your perspective, like... I think you also mentioned how, like, back then that wasn't a thought. But, like,
3: mm. I-, I would
1: love to hear, like, your take on, like, the progression of it. I yeah. just feel like people are saying, like, represent- representation matters so much more now. Yeah. To even... To, to be honest, to to the point of it's kind of like... I don't want to say we're commodifying it, but, like... Mm. Yeah. There's a little bit of that now, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there is. There certainly is. And, um... I mean it's such a big question I I I can only answer it in my own experience you know which is that like okay so I ha- so I was on MTV for 10 years the thing is is that most of your listeners have never watched MTV or only know about MTV because of um I don't even know what's on MTV I don't <laughs> even know reality shows I'm not sure but you guys MTV was a big deal
1: it was in the 2000s it was a very
3: big deal It was the only place you really could watch music videos. Mm -hmm. It was the place that you got your pop culture info Mm -hmm. from, you know. Um, And it was the only real outlet, like global outlet for young people, period. Like that just was it. Mm -hmm. Everyone watched it. And um, there was a show called TRL. It was live. It was a live television show and everyone watched it like you came home from school and you turned it on yep. and if you missed it, you missed it, that's mm-hmm. it. It wasn't, you couldn't re-watch it on YouTube to see if your favorite artist was stopping by and to see like the countdown of like the top, you know, 10 or so uh, music videos in, in the world. So um, so that was sort of like the landscape of it and, and, and then my role was to do the new segment which was two minutes on TRL, you know, a few times a week. That was it. I didn't have a reality show. I didn't have, you know, a news desk. Like, I'm just saying this because those two minutes, a few times a week, as I've heard now, you know, as I meet more and more young people and Asian Americans, of like, you change the trajectory of my life. You know, hearing that feedback of like, seeing you on TV I was like, I want to be a journalist, or I want to be creative, or I want to be a writer, whatever it was, you know, and it gave me sort of like a, you know, just like a, like a point in the horizon that I could direct myself towards, you know. Um, and, And, and I think about, how just two minutes a few times a week Mm -hmm. can do that. It just, it blows my mind. So imagine if you got it 10 minutes every day, an hour, two hours of film, books, TV, you know, on your social media accounts, in the news, in reality TV, in every other aspect of of your life. Like, Like the impact of that is profound because now you're talking about giving someone... Um, a blank slate to be like your parents came here I know they want you to be a doctor an engineer or a lawyer and that's great but there's a whole world of possibilities if that's not your calling like what do you want to do like how do you want to spend your time what is going to make you happy all of these questions that are very American you know that aren't rooted in our immigrant culture it they're valid questions now in terms of like what do we want to do with our our careers and our time. I mean, that's 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 profound to give someone that that kind of processing in terms of the choices that they make. So, you know, we've looked at it in the last few years, you know, whether it's um I mean we've had some of the highest highs. We've had Oscars and You know, some of the biggest, biggest films and television shows and books represented by Asian Americans. And then we've had the lowest lows of like the crazy violence in our communities without that other side pushing for our stories, pushing for visibility, pushing to make sure that we matter, pushing so that our elders aren't forgotten, pushing so that our stories are part of the fabric of what it means to be American. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, hyperbolic, but violence occurs in the way that we've seen it because we think of people as one dimensional, not human, Mm. you know, communities, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you dehumanize a community of color, and it's much easier to perpetrate violence. So all of that is interconnected. Like, it's not a small thing. We're not just talking about, like, what's on your Netflix feed. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a consciousness that we're trying to change here within our own community and outside of our community. And that consciousness has, you know, fun impact. You know, you get to go to the Oscars, but it also has a real impact in that our stories humanize us. And that humanizing of who we are can combat Racism, and violence, and white supremacy. Like, that's, that's fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if, we, if you didn't understand that, because I don't think I understood that mm. before the last few years. I really didn't. I didn't understand white supremacy in the way that we understand it now. I didn't understand my role in it. I didn't understand how I've been complicit in it. Um, and now it's very clear to me. So representation now means we're playing for bigger stakes. Mm. It's not just for more TV shows and more books. You know, the stakes are really, really freaking high, you know? And so I don't know how to not talk about this, you know, as I get older and mm. and as I'm raising my kids. Yeah,
2: that was so well articulated. And I definitely... I was like nodding along because I definitely feel for myself personally also in the last couple of years, a really an understanding of what representation is and why it matters on a very grounded and nuanced level in the way that you discuss, which is, yeah, it's very obvious in terms of seeing your face on the screen and knowing that there's a place for you, but it's also very nuanced in the way that people will treat you because they look at you as an equal versus as, as an object or as an other. Suchin, you had mentioned before about your work, um, at MTV, by the way, which started TRL. I was definitely that person that came home every day and turned on my TV and would catch you on those two minute segments. And you are very right. Only, only those two minutes every so often really planted that seed in my mind of, Like there are other possibilities beyond what I hear in the household. You know, outside of TRL, you also hosted that documentary series, My Life Translated, uh, that featured teens from immigrant families and what it was to balance the duality of one culture Mm -hmm. with the American culture. And in interviews, you had shared how that documentary series was a gateway for you to transition from, you know, kind of a journalist to telling stories that felt more personal. How did this series for you shift your personal relationship with your own family, your family's immigrant story, your sense of identity,
3: uh, all of that on a personal level? Gosh, um, man, that show was so... It was such a, like, life-transforming experience for me. I had never experienced that in so many ways. Like, number one, even bringing a camera home to film my mother... Mm you know, me in my you know childhood bedroom, my aunts. I mean, that was all part of this series, right? As I was trying to figure out in this show, like what does it mean to be American when your parents aren't from this country, right? I was still grappling with that mm. as the host, you know, being, you know, 28, you know, still having to figure out what that meant. I mean, I may have even been in my 30s. I can't remember when that series was, but I was still coming home and you know, not telling my parents about my, uh, that I was, you know, practically living with a boyfriend and, you know, mm-hmm. still trying to figure out, like, is it okay if I date? Like, mm-hmm. that's actually a quite like, I interview my mother while she's washing dishes and she's like, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, I, I saw these kids, you know, they were 16, 17 doing this, but I was like, no, this this stuff stays with you for a really long time. Mm-hmm. You know, like you do not get to like, Put this away. So I think that that experience was, you know, like turning the camera on myself was Mm -hmm. really interesting. And um, I think also up until that point, like I said before, for me, I felt like to survive in this career, to um, figure out my way in a predominantly white male dominated industry that I had to be a blank slate, like don't show your emotions, do not tell people where you're from, don't, you know, just be the interviewer, Mm -hmm. be the researcher, be the intellectual, you know, that you are, and then leave the rest, you know, at home, you know, because I felt like if I shared that part of it, it felt to me that I was like it would give other people an opportunity to other me Mm. so I just felt like I had to really not hide it but I mean that's what it was you know news you know before you know we would you know we have this show called diary do you remember diary I did. Where well, you would take the cameras with you and and we would like film ourselves, you know, in these news stories. Like nobody did that. Yeah. Like now that's just how news is. Anderson Cooper does that every day, you know, for CNN. Like that wasn't how news was. Yeah. News was you sat behind a camera or behind a desk and you read a piece of paper or you read the prompter. And then like you just left it at that. You didn't share with people you know about your personal life, so I think that that really shifted me too because I realized I was like, that doesn't interest me to be a blank slate. As mm. I was like trying to figure out what my voice was, I just was like, I think it's here. And if it's here, and they're not ready for me to be this version of myself in a newsroom, then I I can't be in a newsroom. So it, I think that that's really where the spark kind of lighted. I was like, no, I. I really want to do this and I think I've been telling myself I shouldn't do this because you know I wanted to get that that news job and so once I let that go in terms of like my career path in terms of what I wanted to be or what I saw myself doing things started to come a little bit clearer and more personal Mm. yeah I mean it's very interesting how that one piece of work
2: for you and maybe in that critical time in your life really shifted how you were viewing your career and we saw that in like a 2008 interview you had shared that um maybe as a result of your work here that what's been lost is that american identity is originally immigrant identity and somehow along the way we kind of lost some of that and i think we're getting back to that now so 14 years later from 2008
3: um does this statement to you still resonate or how would you kind of alter that? I mean, it it resonates and then it also has changed so much, right? I think that, uh, I mean, this is said time and time again, you know, that this is a country founded by immigrants, right, and, and continue to be successful and prosper because of new immigrants coming into this country and building it. And so, you know, we sort of forget that and, and and we move on. And, you know, the American dream is the American dream for an immigrant. I mean, that's the other half of that, that phrase that I feel like nobody ever says. I'm like, the, the context of the American dream, like to achieve that, outside of the context of like, in a country that isn't yours, or it In the face of adversity or, you know, when everyone is telling you that you can't do something, it doesn't mean anything, of course. So for me, the American dream is within this context of the immigrant story. It's a partial, I think, definition now. I think that uh, I don't know what it even means to be American anymore.
1: Mm.
3: You know, like this idea of the American dream, like what is that? Isn't it just like the dream to be well and Happy and fulfilled and successful I mean it's American Dream like it just sounds so antiquated Now in this world that we live In Um, So I don't know like I think that it's changed in some ways I also think That like especially within the Asian American Community I love that we have Minari and I love that we have These stories I mean I tell My immigrant story all the Time it's it's integral to who I am but it's not the complete story of what it means to be asian mm-hmm. not american i'm just saying asian mm-hmm. in the global world that we live in today i mean you guys just had guests you know they're asians in the uk and you know like like what does it mean to be asian period in this in this world where we are globally connected in every aspect of our lives like american i don't know that that's you know what is that anymore like How, like, is that even a dream, right? Like, K pop, I think, showed, you know, a lot of us, like, it doesn't matter if you have a number one hit in America, you know, (laughs) like, you're, you can still be the biggest musical act in the world and never have a song on the radio in this country like period right so i think that in that respect i think it's a little bit antiquated i also kind of feel like i love seeing stories outside of our immigrant stories you know i think um that story is 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 a foundation but i think that now we get to explore all the different ways that connect us and who we are outside of the immigrant story Um, and, and that's, I think where we're shifting towards. I think we're shifting towards like a version of our identity where it's very connected to other communities of color, Mm -hmm. where it's global and where it's much more driven by, um, ideals than it is by geographic location or, you know, or, or an ethnicity, or I I feel like I want to get out of this this thing that I've been talking about for the past 30 years. Like, it just, it feels like we need a new version of what we're experiencing and what this next generation of Asians um, and Asian Americans are going to identify as. I, I don't know if you guys have talked about it either on the podcast or, you know, just personally. Like, my understanding of who I am today would not be possible without having seen what, had happened to black lives in the past few years Mm, do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like so then if that's the case these are questions that I'm just thinking about that I never thought about before Mm, mm -hmm. um so I don't think this siloed version of our identity is where we're moving towards I think it has to be in this like kind of like communities of color like what what does this mean to be Mm -hmm. You know in this and and still honor and respect our differences, I think mean, that's great, but where what are we fighting for now? yeah, like you know where where are we going with this like so to me i just i I don't know the answers to that. Yeah. I just think you know, I just wrote an intro to a book, and uh one of the essays, and there's like you know thirty essays and one of the essays that I found to be so profound um is called, I, I may be screwing up, it's like being, on being black and Asian American, mm. or something like that. And the writer, Kimiko uh, Matsuda, writes about having to make that choice in her life, her whole life. Am I going to check black or am I mm. going to check mm. Asian? Like, I don't know what I am, but this country sees me as black. So, mm. and my uh, Asian community sees me as black. So then how does that affect my Asian identity? You know, like those are... That's the nuance that I want. That's mm. like the complexity, I think, that we have to look at the lens of identity today.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's really true. I think we're, because we're progressing so much from like, even from my Asian American studies class in high school. Mm. Like it just is a huge difference. I also think that like, I know this is maybe like a subtopic on this too, but I feel like, I know we talk about representation, how it's really important to like kind of humanize everyone's stories. I think sometimes I think about how, even some Asian Americans in our country assume that Asian Americans are in a certain way. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, um, I think even for me, I I got like a message saying, oh, you shouldn't talk that way. Or like you're like, you sound a certain way. And I was like, well, what? Like I'm... I think they had this assumption, like, Asian Americans should sound a certain way. And I'm just like, well, we all come and we're all from different parts of the world, though. Like, where is this, like, rule book of how we should act and sound? Even within the Asian American community, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. But I feel like there's so many things that, even within our community, that individuals and us have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Before even tackling like the other things, or like I don't know, there's 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 just, there's just so much work that needs to be done. I think yeah, with self reflection and identity that I feel like it's ongoing, and with everything going on in the world, it's even more important to do so now. Mm-hmm. I think than yeah than before. i do want to also share about your podcast because i do we felt really happy and fortunate that you're on our podcast but you're also <laughs> a host of an amazing one with comedian and actress cool called add to cart which honestly is you, i think um in your description it's like this podcast isn't about product reviews but rather it's about the things we buy and what it reveals about who we are as a person which honestly is very true like if you are to grab someone's bag you're like okay well what does this say about this person um can you tell our listeners more about your podcast and like you know um is how you guys started it?
3: Yeah, so the podcast is called Add to Cart, and like you said, I host, co-host it with Kulap Valaisok, who is another Asian auntie. You know, she comes in a world of comedy and um, totally different background in terms of media than, than I do, and we host this show. And this show, you know, when she had had a really successful podcast for like, 10 years or something Mm. and took a break from it and kind of wanted to get back into it and approached me. This is before the pandemic um, and said, do you want to do a podcast? And I thought about it and I was like, okay, if I have to sit down every week and talk about something, okay, I don't want to talk about identity. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about sadness, Mm. I don't want to talk about Mm. news. I don't want to talk about anything other than what I bought this week. Like, Mm. that's all I want to talk about. I want to talk about what you bought this week and liked I want to tell you what I bought and liked and think you should buy you know like all aunties do to try to tell other people how to live their lives like that's (laughs) all I want to do so she was like great let's do it she made it happen and you know lo and behold as we are recording the whole world falls apart and you know now this podcast that is sometimes about serums and hiking socks is also about like mental health and like you know I've had really tough tough weeks where I cannot get out of bed and I'm crying all the time and um you know and I'm just sad and uh, and scared and you know cool up as well and and she's going through you know a journey even in her personal life about you know trying to start a family and having a lot of difficulty doing that and that was really sad for her and and so there's been a lot of heartbreak um there's been a lot of laughter and and i realize now And I kind of knew that this would happen. I just didn't understand the world was going to change the way it was Mm. going to change. I knew that like, listen, it's not going to be a review show. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not an expert on lip glosses. So I, I don't know if this is the perfect lip gloss for everyone. But I'm going to tell you when I put on this lip gloss, like I feel like. Uh, I'm one of the black pink girls and (laughs) it makes me feel like there's Mm. something happening in my 46 year old body Like maybe I I, I am young, you know, and and have a conversation about that And then that will lead to a conversation about like my obsession with skincare and how I'm trying to not turn into my mother And then that'll lead (laughs) to a conversation about my mom and then my kids And then the world also is changing and that'll lead to conversations about, you know, whether I feel like my parents are safe anymore Mm -hmm. and what I should do about that. And so I realized that this show is really at the heart of it. It's like the full humanity of who we are as people, period. Mm -hmm. You know that, you know what it's like to get into conversations with your friends and your girlfriends. Mm -hmm. You know, you sit at brunch and you can talk about, oh, my God, that's a really cute bag. Where did you get it? Great. And then the next thing you're talking about is, you know, your father-in-law just got into a terrible accident. And like what that has been like and trying to figure, juggle going to the hospital and picking up my kids Mm -hmm. and doing, Mm -hmm. you know, work like it's all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you can laugh about something crazy that happened, you know, on the way over. Like, so it really is a full conversation, and I think that the best shows that we do are the ones that talk about face serums and then talk about heartbreak, mm. and then we just laugh, mm. and we laugh so much on this show. Like, just somebody, when I was reading the reviews. People say don't do that, but I can't help it. And they were like, "I have this all this fake laughing on this show? I can't stand it." I was
0: like, "I wish it was fake laughing,"
3: you know, like. I mean, I'm actually glad, I mean, rather I'm glad it's not fake laughing. Like mm. I, I, you know, I we cry laughing on this show so much. You know, that's what Add to Cart is, mm. you know, like what are you adding to your cart? And the cart is your life, mm. you know. Mm. It's a book. It's about your marriage. It's about, you know, things that you once believed but like are not sure exist anymore. Mm. Um, and it's also about cleansers, you know. Yeah. So it's about all of those things that I think um, we deal with very intimately in our lives yeah. yeah
1: I love how you painted like I guess like this picture of what add to cart is because I do think it's, it's kind of like the things you add to your cart or whatever like the it's like the objects in your life are kind of more than that they are mm-hmm. threads to who you are and the stories right. that connect totally. you to these objects I think that's really cool
2: so as you shared Susan you ladies have recorded so many episodes um, of these episodes and of all the topics you've discussed can you think of any favorite
3: episode or episodes? Oh, that's a good question. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be a favorite episode of someone listening, but we decided one day that we were going to do our shower routines. Ooh. And so when we come on the podcast, neither one of us know what's in our cart, like the other person's cart. Like it's like, it's a surprise as we're sitting there, like, oh, what is this you've bought today, Kulop? You know? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of like spontaneity and it's very unscripted. And so. We were like, oh yeah, let's just do shower routines. Now, this was deep in the pandemic. Imagine, you guys, remember that time when you couldn't leave your house, mm-hmm. like you couldn't go into a grocery store. Like people were disinfecting Amazon boxes before you were opening them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And a lot of people, an hour-long shower routine was completely possible mm-hmm. and encouraged. It was a moment of self-care in a day filled with just cooking everything you ate, you know Mm -hmm. staring at the same people you lived with in your house like so so I say that because I (laughs) we started to do the shower routine and very quickly the whole thing just like went off the rails like I had no like as she's saying what her shower routine is I'm like you're insane (laughs) and then as I'm saying what my shower routine is I'm like I'm insane. And so the whole time, you know, it's called the deranged shower routine, I think. And we had to do two, a two part because we couldn't even get through it. And at one point, I was like telling her how I, I put the conditioner in my hair, I wrap it up and I turn off the shower, but I'm still in the shower. And now I'm cleaning my bathtub. (laughs) At that point, at that point, I was like, this is insane. Like, what, who am I? Like, I am an important intellectual person. Like this is not who I've become, but anyway, so I don't know there's just something about those two episodes mm-hmm. that just like get to the heart of like what I thought that this podcast would be about. Mm. And then, you know, we did like an um like a non-scheduled emergency sort of episode after the violence in Atlanta because it just felt very urgent. And so that episode is very raw. I don't even know what I said in that episode. It was just us for an hour, like crying and screaming and throwing things. Um, But I feel like I felt like we had to record what it felt like in that moment. Just a snapshot of like not intellectualizing it, not processing it, just like emotionally where we were. And it felt very connected and healing and liberating and so that was a really great episode. So that just kind of gives you like the pendulum swing of what Add is like. Yeah. Yeah. I love that the way you're describing it is almost like you could reflect back to these
2: as like journal or diary entries of that of a period in time or <laughs> after different events um, which is something mm-hmm. that I feel like podcasting as a platform does so well. Yeah. So it's yeah it's amazing to hear that ad to really fully utilizes the platform in that way and becomes mm-hmm. that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Besides um, the shower routine, because honestly that sounds really interesting to hear because it's <laughs> something like it's something everyone has, but That's you don't really right. like, talk about until you're like, Oh wait, yeah. this is actually really interesting though. Like what's, what's everyone's routine? But besides those topics, what other topics are you and Kulav really excited to explore on the podcast?
3: You know, I think that anything that shows our vulnerability, that shows how weird we are, how, you know, mm-hmm. like, that kind of stuff, you know, I think that that, like you said, podcasting is such an intimate medium, like, you know, I, you can't get away with just sort of um, being like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's good. Everything's great. Um and 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 you sit in front of a mic for an hour with someone who's like what do you mean by that why why does your face look like that when you say that like what why are Mm -hmm. you saying that you know like and then you sort of get into like no it's not fine I have no idea but I don't want to talk about it you Mm -hmm. know I don't want to tell you we don't so so I think that it, it is a very intimate um thing and 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 so anything where I feel like it gets to like you know that part of you that you're sort of embarrassed or shame, ashamed of to share with others, strangers, your friends, your family. I don't know. I, I always love when, <laughs> when we get when we get really close to that, and I. And I've shared a lot about my personal life. So mm. um, to me, that's all, all exciting. And maybe that just goes because I've had a career of trying to be a very mm. cleaned up, mm. polished version of myself. So it does feel kind of exciting and new to not really give a rat's ass about, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we're both in our 40s. And surprisingly, our most of our audience is... A lot younger and so I think the 40s is an interesting time you know they call it the sandwich years where we're taking care of our parents and we're raising families it's like a weird it's a really weird decade I think there's something um, really I don't know I think it's refreshing to talk about it really honestly um, and so you know maybe I don't know like maybe I hope that in talking about it honestly, the good, the bad, the ugly. I I do feel like our younger listeners. I hope the impact is is that they make decisions that are fully um, their own and not necessarily because they should. Mm. Um, you know, because I think the forties is about untangling that, trying to figure out like where you are in a list of things that you should be, where like where you really are in that list. And to me, that's what the 40s has been like.
2: Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I'm because ref- Mel, well, Mel's in the early
3: 30s. I'm in my like latter
2: half of the 30s. And to hear them, the, the that next decade referred to as the sandwich years, that's very true. And every decade has their own particulars. Um, and our listenership is also younger. So something that we enjoy and that we've heard reflected back to us is when you are very honest and when you're raw, people appreciate it because they do get this insight of what is to come and mm-hmm. feel more empowered to, to be authentic, you know, when they get there. Um, Sujin, thank you so much for being here and sharing with us your career and all that you've done up to this point. We're interested in hearing about um, what you have coming up next. Uh, What are some projects you're working on? Or even, even if it's personal, professional, personal, anything that you're excited
3: about coming up for the rest of this year? Well, um, you know, still recording Add to Cart. Don't know how long that will be. I always say that because you just never know, right? Um, So that's just like amazing and fun. And I mentioned earlier that I just wrote an introduction to a book that came out a few weeks ago called uh, My Life, Growing Up Asian in America, which is a collection of 30 essays from like, you know, Asian Americans from all walks of life, right, from different careers, different ages, grew up in different geographical locations, and they all share, like, really, really personal stories of how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And so that has been um, just, like, a real bright light, you know, in the past year. I wrote that introduction a year ago, and a year ago, um, you know, it was pretty tough. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that this collection of stories is such a reflection of where we are right now in this moment and it couldn't have been written had the last few years not been what they had been like. You know, I think um, the book would be totally different. So I'm super proud of it, and I'm also really proud to hopefully amplify and connect. You know, these other 29 voices that I'm discovering myself. You know, writers and ex CEOs, and you know, activists and poets and you know, artists. So that's been really, really fun. To me, like sitting and meeting, whether even if it's just over Zoom and talking about all this stuff, I don't know. It just, it really fills my cup. Mm -hmm. It also fills my introverted cup because I don't have to actually be Mm -hmm. (laughs) somewhere, but I get all, you know what I mean? The juice of like meeting you guys and like talking about like really deep personal things. Like to me, that's like my favorite type of social interaction which is frowned upon at cocktail parties <laughs> so it's just I don't know in some ways I like I'm thriving you know um, in this time where we're not meeting as much but I have this way of connecting with you guys so easily yeah. right and so intimately like I just I can't even believe like it's so weird to think that life wasn't like this in terms of accessibility and in terms of intimacy um and realness before all of this happened right like there is there are things that i'm really grateful for that have happened in the last few years. Yes,
2: definitely, definitely agree. And as a fellow introvert who also loves deep convo that maybe is not appropriate cocktail parties, (laughs) definitely feel you on that. Um, And yes, to our listeners, if you haven't already, please check out the book, My Life Growing Up Asian in America. Uh, And Suchin, where can our listeners find you online if they want to follow you?
3: I'm on Instagram at Suchinpok and then um, at to Pod. Yeah, and then, yeah, that's our podcast is Add to Cart.
1: You can find it wherever, you know, you find other podcasts you love. Thank you so much again, Suchin, for being on the podcast.
0: If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com.
1: If you resonate with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. If you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience QA segment called GRBG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is Asian Boss Girl. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree and our link in bio on our Instagram and click on shout outs. And last
2: but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all of her magic on our episodes, including
1: this one. And with that, we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye!
0: Bye. Bye.